You know, Boudreaux, he's a crazy kind of guy. <clears throat> and Boudreaux, very wealthy. He ended up on this airplane. He was going somewhere. Man, they were flying over the ocean, and they had plane trouble. And that thing crashed and landed on a deserted island out in the Pacific, out in the middle of nowhere. Man, they was all so worried. Everybody was running around. We're going to die. Boudreaux kept telling them, don't worry about it. I'm rich. I got so much money. Don't worry about it. Two or three days go by. He still said, don't worry about it. I'm rich. Don't worry about it. They're like, listen, Mr. Boudreaux, let me explain something to you. All that money that you have is not going to feed us on this deserted island. All that money that you had is not going to keep us from dying out here. Why are you acting this way? He said, I, gotta un- I, got you. I need you to understand something. I make a million dollars a month. I'm very faithful to my church. And I tithe regularly. My pastor will find us. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. <laughs> We're in a series called Dangerous Faith. <laughs> Dangerous Faith. And uh, Boudreaux, he had him some faith, all right. <laughs> and it's been a great series. And uh, man, weren't you blessed by Mr. Tim Maiden last week? What a great teaching us on obedience. And, these, and we've been looking at faith. You see, faith has many facets to it, kind of like a diamond. You know, there's the cut, the clarity, the carrot. You've got all these pieces that make that diamond beautiful. And one can lack in an area and, 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 and lose some of its value. Well, when you became a Christian, you had faith even to ask Jesus into your life. But what I have learned over the years is we constantly have to be stretching and growing our faith, and we can. And that's what this series is all about. And we called it Dangerous Faith because we believe when you and I start walking in the kind of faith that God asks of us, it becomes a dangerous plan for the enemy. That you and I start, the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God. That we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we've been in this series to build our faith. I told you when we started, I'm going to stretch your faith, I'm going to poke on your faith. I'm going to make you feel embarrassed about your lack of faith. And the reason that is because I'm doing the same thing to myself. Dear Jesus, what happened to the pastor who ain't got no faith in this particular area? So I'm growing, you're growing. And in that process, what's going to happen is we're going to become a dangerous weapon to the plans of the enemy. We're going to become God's son, God's daughter in such a way that when when Jesus says go left, we go left. When God says lay hands on that, we lay hands on them. In that moment, they get healed and delivered and power is flowing and we don't live in a place of fear, doubt, and unbelief. That's our goal with this series, and I hope that you've been growing and stretching in it. You know, all throughout Scripture, we find that God asked men and women to take steps of faith or risky actions, actions that they're not comfortable with. In fact, we find that faith is not the absence of fear, but faith is the ability to overcome that fear and do what God wants you to do. That really is what this whole thing is all about. It's learning to overcome our fear, uh, facing our fear. So we've titled part five, and we've got one more part after this, Depowering Our Fears. We're going to work today to help you learn how to depower your fear. Because I don't believe anyone in this, in this congregation uh, wants to be a person that doesn't have faith. I, I believe we all want to grow in our faith. The problem is not that we don't have faith. The problem is that we also have fear. And so that fear is fighting against the faith. And, and, and we believe God kind of, when it comes to this one area, we're like, yes, God will do it. He did it for me back in the day. He'll do it again. But in this other area, we're like, eh, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. And so today, I think if we can help depower the fears, then we can walk a lot stronger in the faith that God has for us. Our key verse is found in Mark chapter 9. If you'll turn there quickly, go ahead and turn on your Bibles and go to Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Look what's said here. Some man speaking, he says, I do believe, help me overcome 
by unbelief. Would you read it with me? Here we go. In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, 1, 2, 3, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. In this passage of Scripture, what has transpired here in the book of Mark is this man comes to Jesus. He gets his disciples. He gets the, he gets the, he gets the associate pastors. He don't get the main pastor. And he's got this son of his who he says is demon-possessed. Uh, other translations translate this as a bad case of epilepsy. But, but the, the man says in Mark chapter 9 here that my son has a demon, and he, and he takes him, and he throws him in the fire, and then he takes him, he tries to drown him in the water. And he says, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't fix him. And let's pick up now, if you will, for just a moment, verse 21. So Jesus asked the boy's father. He says, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you, but if you, hey Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And verse 23, if you can. I, I, I picture Jesus does that whole roll of the neck like, if I can. You, you, you ever had a friend like that? <clears throat> There's a couple older black ladies in my life that do that to me. If I can. Have you lost your mind? That's, that's the attitude here. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Verse 24, this man comes to his senses and realizes, I have offended Jesus. Now, I don't blame him. I would imagine he's gone from scenario to scenario. In fact, even bring, now, you think about this kid. This is that kid. This is that kid. We're talking about small communities. We're not talking about large metropolitan areas. Small community. Everybody knows that dad and that child. Everybody knows. They can't educate him at school. They, they, they can't have him at Walmart with him. I mean, they got all these issues. They know this kid. This guy finally has the guts to go over to a meeting where these people are talking about the Messiah has come, and if you got any problems, he can fix it. So he gets this kid dressed. He gets him out of the house. He's scared to death of what everybody's going to think. He knows he's going to lose his mind in the middle of the sermon. He just knows he's going to jump up and start making a bunch of noise, and the the demon's going to drive him and go run into a wall. He just knows it's going to happen. He gets to the disciples, and he says, listen, i got to talk to Jesus. And they're like, what's the problem, my son? Well, let us minister to him. And they, whatever is happening there, they can't get this kid delivered. They can't get this problem solved. So the guy's like, look, I want to talk to the manager. I want to talk to the dude in charge. And so they push through and they get him to Jesus. And Jesus has this engagement with him. What seems to be the problem? He starts telling him. And then he says, if you could do anything. And Jesus said, if, if, son, have you lost your mind? Do you know who you're talking to? If I can do anything. So then Jesus says, well, let me help you out a little bit. And he gives him this everything. Somebody say everything. everything. Some things. A few things. Everything is possible For him who believes. See, miracles are not based on whether you're good or bad. God has a beautiful plan of action for your life. This comes down to whether or not you and I have the faith, the courage to believe. In this moment, verse 24, the man realizes, I am in trouble. And this was our key verse. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Each and every one of us have a portion of faith in areas, but also have a portion of unbelief in certain areas. And it's with that today that I want to help you, maybe give you some practical biblical understanding on how to depower all of this 
fear, this unbelief that's inside of us so that you and I can be the kind who said anything is possible for those of us who believe. I don't know about you, but I can't stand to be around a person who's always negative. I can't stand to be around a person like it's always, the, the sky is always falling. It's hard enough for me to walk in faith, but now I've got to be around you with your unbelief, your doubt, your fears. And I want you and I to not be those kind of people. I want us to be the kind of people who say, you know what? It don't look good right now, but God. You know what? I don't know how it's going to happen, but one thing I know, he's made me a promise that he'll never leave me or forsake me. I know this one thing. Whatever I sow, that shall I also reap. And I've been sowing good. And I've been putting my heart out there before the Lord. And he will not abandon his sons and daughters. I don't know everything, but I know he's good. And I know he's got me in the palm of his hand. I want to be those kind of people. Don't you say yes. So with that being said, let me help you a little bit on, let me help you minimize. I think if we can minimize the fear, then our faith can explode on top of that. So let me give you a couple thoughts on how to depower our fears. So we're calling this depowering our fears for the next couple moments. Number one, write this down. It's going to help you. I promise you. In business, in your relationship relationship with Jesus Christ, it all is intertwined. Number one, get the facts. Real practical. Get the facts. I want to help you depower the fear. Get the facts. Look at Proverbs 13, 16 says, a wise man thinks ahead. A foolish doesn't and even brags about it. How about this other one? Proverbs 23, 23. Get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. Listen, can I explain something to you? It will help you to overcome and depower all of the fear that you're dealing with if you'll start just by being practical and start getting the facts on something. You feel like God's telling you to do something? Start getting all the facts on it. Just start, start collecting everything, all the information you can get. I, I, you know, for years, I was a great traveling minister, but I, I didn't feel like I could be a good local pastor. I just, I'm not good. I'm not good at the hospital. You know, you go to the hospital and you're dying. And I come in, I'm like, you know, I pray for you. You don't get healed. I'm like, I don't know why you don't have faith. And I'll turn around and leave. I don't know what else to do. I'm just not that good at it. And so I realized I have to learn something because I was scared. There was a fear in there on whether or not I could be a good local pastor. I just, I wasn't good at it. I didn't feel good at it. Are you with me? Say yes. There was fear there. I, listen, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. But I had a fear there. So get, you know what I did? I started doing what I needed to do. I started getting the facts. I started researching. I started, I started reading things. I started going to seminars. I started going to conferences and listening and learning. So can I ask you a question? Now, what if you pray for them and they don't get healed at the hospital? What if their uncle's there who hates preachers? I mean, he starts cussing me. What do I do then? And I just started, God started getting the facts, started learning what I could learn. And can I just tell you something? Sometimes I've watched people say, God told me to do it, and they just jump into it. And, it's like, and they call that faith. Well, I, I tell you, what might be a little smarter is if you could go and research a little bit and get the facts so that when we act in faith, we act in full knowledge of what we're about to go through. And that's called wisdom. And so one of the ways to overcome the fears, and, and, and for some people, you've been taught that's not faith if you go research it. That's not faith if you just, brother, you just need to do it. You just need to do it right now. Well, I would if I didn't have fear. So let me help depower that fear by doing this. Let me, let me go ahead and let me get the facts and sit down. In fact, facts may be scary, but ignorance is destructive. Facts may be scary, but ignorance is destructive. There's not a person that came to this church that you hadn't watched us online for a few weeks before you came. You're like, man, I don't know what they're going to do over there. I watched that little preacher one day. He's crazy as a loon. I don't know. if I'll, maybe They all might be crazy. And so you got the facts. You went and looked and you read through what they believe. They got snakes in that church. I don't know if they're handling snakes at that church. You just don't know these days. 
And you did. You researched us, and you got the facts, and then you made a step of faith. And you came here, and you're like, all right. And then you went through a couple of weeks. All right, they nice. But when are they going to bring out the snakes? You know, <laughs> Right? And what you did was you got the facts. That'll help you. Here's the second thing I would teach you to do. You still with me? Say yes. Count the cost. Count the cost. You need to ask questions like this. Like, how much will this cost me? How, how, how much time will it cost me? Pastor, God, I feel like God wants me to take this new job. I'm I, I, I just not sure about it. I, just, I think God wants me to do it. Well, let's count the cost. How much time are you going to be away from your family? It may make you another $30,000 a year, but how much, what's that going to cost you? You're going to drive an hour and a half one way. What's that going to cost you? Just count the cost. Count it. Jesus teaches us to do that. In fact, in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, he says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? He actually continues on and he says, listen, how foolish for a man to go to battle and not count and see, I got, all right, I got 10000 he got 80000 He said, how dumb for you to do that. He said, you should count the cost. And if you realize, ooh, we in trouble, go and make peace with that brother <laughs> so you don't lose. How foolish for a person not to count the cost. I, I, I see this all the time. People call it faith. It wasn't faith. It was stupidity. Because you didn't count the cost. And listen, if you want to walk in faith, then we've got to depower that fear. And here's some practical steps to depower that fear. You can punch that fear right in the face. So you know what? I'm counting the cost. It's going to cost me this. It's going to look like this. And that way you can make a cognizant, proper decision based on, I know that this is going to be tough, but we can do it. In fact, I teach people all the time. When you're going to make some changes in life, why would you not sit your family down and discuss it with them? If you're going to move houses, did you think what that would do to your 14-year-old? You're going to make them change schools? Their little life has got their friends and, and, and their stability there, and you're just going to rip that up and move them over here? Why would you not count the cost and say, now, now Johnny, I know that that's going to be tough on you, uh, but mom and dad feel like this is the Lord. What do you think? Get, get them in on the, on the counting the cost moment. Get them in on, you know what, but I'm believing that God will give you new friends. And in fact, you know, we'll, we'll do this for a little bit until you feel comfortable. Uh, we did that in almost every decision that we made. Anytime we had to make decisions like that, we sit the kids down and say, now listen, this is what mom and dad feel like God's saying to do. We want to take this leap of faith, but we know it's going to affect you. Let's count the cost. How, and that way there's buy-in. That way there's, we're doing it together. That way the cost has been identified instead of your kid going, you just made decisions. You didn't even see how that affected me. You, had no con you didn't even care about me. How that was going to affect me, how that was going to, how that was going to break my little heart because now I have no friends and now I'm going to move over here and you're going to just throw me into this thing. You've got to count the cost. Jesus tells us to do it. He says count the cost. That will help you depower all the fear because as you start counting the cost, you can keep walking in faith. You say, okay, it's going to cost me that, but God, I at least know now what we're dealing with. And, and, and so a lot of times people won't take a leap of faith. They won't step out in faith. Because they haven't set down enough time appropriate. And so some of us try to drag our friends and, and, and our spouses into these situations, but we've never had enough sense to sit down and say, let's count the cost together. Let's see what it really will cost us. Let's talk about whether or not God can be in this. When we went to start this church, I counted the cost. I knew what I was going to have to give up. I gave up 75% of my income to do it. I was going to have to sell my house. I knew what exactly I was going to We sat down and we, we, we pulled the kids out of private school. We're going to do all these things. This is what it's going to cost us. I, after we lined it out all out, we went for it, and that's exactly what we had to do. We had to pay that penalty, if you will, or we had to make those sacrifices. Let's say it like that. I'm so grateful that we did, but I would have been so upset had I not sat down and count the cost, and all of a sudden we can't have that same car that I was hoping to have. 
Are we, are we were going to have to live in this place that I never thought, thought it through well enough, or my children thought it through with me, and we didn't have the opportunity to make that decision together. Count the cost. Turn to the person next to you and say, count the cost. Have you ever noticed it's easier to get in debt than it is to get out of debt? Have you ever noticed it's easier to get into a relationship than to get out of a relationship? You need to count the cost. I think God wants me to mar- marry this guy. Well, you haven't met him yet. So, you know, it's easy to get into it, sweet love. It's going to be real tough to get out of it. And he becomes a stalker because you made him all these promises before you knew him. And so what you got to do is you got to count. You got to get in that thing and you got to count the cost for it. Have you ever noticed it's easier to pay and make the decision before you've looked at the price tag? And so what we need to do is go look at the price tag. What's it going to cost us? What's that going to mean for our life? Here's the third thing I would teach you to do. And that is plan your steps. Come on, we're talking about depowering, depowering fear. Plan your steps. Proverbs 14, 15 says, A prudent man gives thoughts to his steps. A prudent man gives thoughts to his steps. In other words, plan out the steps. Let's see what this could look like. Uh, Proverbs 16, 9, this is one of my favorite verses. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And let me give you the balance on this. So you got to understand, in his heart, a man plans. God wants you to make plans. He just don't want you to make plans that you won't let him redirect or fix or move within. So we should make plans and say, Lord, I'm making these plans because I feel like you've given me wisdom. I'm doing my best with what I know and how to do it. I'm going to make these plans. Lord, at any moment you want to change this, you do it. My life is in your hands. This is the balance. Opposed to, I'm doing this. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the scripture says. I don't care what godly counsel says. I'm doing this because I feel like I'm supposed to. God told me, bless God. Versus, God, I'm going to do this plan. And Lord, at any moment, you want to redirect that or you want to, you want to adjust that. This is what this passage is talking about. In his heart, a man makes his plans or he plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You and I need to make plans. We need to plan out some things and then let God breathe on it. Let God maneuver it. Let God work within it. In fact, we see this with the Apostle Paul. They were on their way into Asia and the Holy Spirit said, no, don't do that. Go here. And he literally said, resisted us. The Holy Spirit resisted us from going into Asia. He had a plan. He was going for it. And God directed him and redirected him. And he went with it. That is what real faith looks like. You, you, you need to plan out some course. You need to put some things together. I, I'll never forget when I first started playing Little League Baseball. I had one of these amazing coaches. And, he, and, and his, this little principle that he taught me about planning out what's about to happen in my mind, working it through in my mind, has helped me and serviced me way into my adulthood leadership. And he taught me this. I played shortstop. He said, now listen, you're at shortstop. What I want you to do, that pitcher's going to be throwing the ball back and forth. It'll take a few minutes before the next guy hits it. You know how they do. He goes, you got a guy on first. What you going to do? I'm like, what do you mean what I'm going to do? He said, see, you only know how to play reactive, but I want you to pre- play proactive. In other words, in your mind, there's a man on first, there's a, guy, there's a guy up to bat, and there's one away. If the ball is hit to you, what are you going to do? I said, uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to field it. I'm going to try to turn the double play, throw it to second, and then hope my second baseman can make it to first with it, and we'll try to turn the double play. He said, great. What if it's a pop fly to you? What if you drop it? What if it bounces off this person's glove? What if it goes over here? What if it goes over there? And I was like, ah. Oh. He goes, no, no. Plan out each one of those scenarios and work those scenarios. And be, that way, when the ball is hit to you, you already know what you're going to do. So I live right now. I already see hundreds of campuses around the Metroplex, but we only got one other one. See what I'm, I'm planning it out. And when that moment comes available and someone says, we found this building in Arlington, we want to give it to you. I'm like, ha, 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 
because I'm already working that plan, allowing God to work in that process. Are you with me? Say yes. That's why when we saw the building in Mansfield, we've been praying, we've been looking, we've been doing it for a couple years. Ask all of our elders. We would look at this building and that building, and finally this little old building came available in Mansfield, and we knew it was God. We went for it. We did it. Why? Because we had been working a plan, praying for it. We've been planning ahead. God, that way when the answer came, we knew what the answer was. Are you with me? I was believing for a beautiful woman of God. I wanted a beautiful woman who loved God with all her heart. When Jamie walked up, I didn't have to pray about it anymore. I've been praying for it. And then when it walked out, I've been playing. This is what it's going to look like. This is what I want God. You're going to do it. Boom. She walked in. I was like, yes and amen. Let's go. Let's do this thing. I don't see what the problem is. So plan your steps. <laughs> Come on. Are you with me? Say yes. See, don't call it faith when it's really laziness on your part. I'm just waiting on the Lord. No, the Lord's waiting on you. How many times did I hear that from people? Man, Pastor, I'm just waiting on the Lord. No, actually, the Lord's waiting on you. Plan out some steps. Let God breathe on it. Let God kiss it. Let God, let God redirect it. But we're scared of looking dumb. We're scared of being called a failure because we tried something and it didn't work out. Friend, can I tell you something? Any great man or woman of faith throughout Scripture tried a lot of things and they didn't always work out. You just keep swinging for the fence. Are you with me? Say yes. So plan it out. Here's the fourth thing I would teach you to do. And that is announce your goal. Announce your goal. You're not going to like this because it's going to fight against your fear. But you've got to learn to do this. Announce your goal. <clears throat> James 4 and 15. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live. And they say, and do this or that. So here's how you announce your goal. I've had people do this to me. They say, uh, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Actually, James teaches us to say, well, if it be the Lord's will, this is what we're going to do. And so that gives you the caveat for the Lord to be able to say, well, actually, you know, I'm going to adjust you over here. That's why in our church, when people have a prophetic word for someone else, I always teach them, don't go up to them and say, thus saith the Lord. The problem with it, it, it the Lord is speaking to you, but you also got a bunch of Adam McCain involved in that or your, your own personal humanity is what I'm trying to say. And, and so when you say, thus saith the Lord, it better doggone be the Lord. Because if you missed it a little bit in the Old Testament, they would stone you. They would take you out, throw rocks on you until you were dead. And so it's so much easier just to say, man, I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. I could be wrong. I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. And that's what James is saying. Listen, you stand up in front of everybody and announce your goals. If it be the Lord's will, this is what we feel like God's telling us to do. This is where we're trying to go. Because when you announce it, what it does is it creates accountability. It creates accountability. When we started the year this year, any of you that were with us in January, we put out our financial review. We showed you our annual review, what, what God did in 2018, what God, what, how much finances came in, where we spent it, how we pushed, pushed forward ministry and ministering to our community and how many people got saved. And we, we put all that out at the first, first Sunday of the year. We'll do it again this year. And then what we do on the back of that is we have our goals that we've set, things that we're believing God to do. We're believing that we'll take 100 people on missions trips. We're believing that we'll start, uh, we'd have 100 new leaders step up and want to help us do small group life. Uh, these are all the pieces that were on 2019's uh, goal piece. We're believing that we're going to start a third campus in 2019. Can I just say something to you? We didn't reach all those goals yet. We may not reach those goals. But I'd rather to have swim, uh, swung for the fence and missed than never had stepped up there and swing at all. I'd rather try in faith for God than to sit back and say, well, I just, whenever he tells me I'm going to do something, he's like, get in the batter's box. Just get in the batter's box and swing. And you're like, I don't know. I just, it's more comfortable on the, on, on the bench criticizing everybody. And that's what a lot of people do because of fear. Because of fear. And so when you announce it, so we announced it to you guys. This is what we're believing for this year. We're not going to hit them all. But I, I'm believing we are. But the practicality of that, maybe not. But I'm still believing for a miracle. There's still 50 of you that need to go on a mission trip between the end of the year. 
You, you, no, anyway, I'm sorry, I was going to sign you up to reach our goal. But the Lord, if he wills, this is what we're trying to do. So announce that goal. Put that, see, what that does is, number one, it, it causes you to have to, it creates accountability. And then also what it does is build your faith. Because when you speak something, it takes on life. When you speak something, oh, let me tell you something, Pastor. I may be single right now, but I'm going to be married to an amazing man of God. He's going to love my son. It's going to be magnificent. I'm going to have a beautiful marriage. And you begin speaking that thing. You speak that thing. Why? Putting it out there. You're putting your faith out there. You're announcing that. You know what, Pastor? Right now I work for somebody, but I'm believing I'm going to have my own business. If it be the Lord's will, and I'm telling you, I'm going to be able to do some of the things I want to do. I want to be able to take a couple mission trips throughout the year. And right now working for somebody else, I don't have the time off. But when I have my own business, I can go do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I want to do things for the Lord. You start announcing those things around other people of faith that will speak life into that thing and build that up. You've got to announce it. That puts that peace into motion. It creates accountability, and it builds your faith. You with me? Say yes. Well, you're looking at me like you don't like me, but I know you love me. Number five, number five, how to de- depower, if you will, fear. And that is you need to act against your fears. Act against your fears. We all have fears, so you have to act against them. The moment I start feeling a certain fear, I'll act against it. When I start feeling a little intimidated, and, and I feel like God may be t- asking me to, to witness to that person, you know, at the restaurant or, you know, out, out at the store or something like that. I feel that fear come over me. Well, we all have it. I feel that fear, and I just act against it as soon as I start feeling it. I act out against it. Have you ever noticed that the, these trapeze artists, how safe they are when they're holding on to one bar? But then at some point, they got to let go to get to the next bar. That space between letting go of what's safe to reach out for what's possible for your life, that space is the most intimidating space that you'll ever be in. But what happens is over time, as you begin to trust the Lord and step out in faith and act against your fears, you begin to get comfortable with it. And you're like, watch this. (laughs) You're like, watch this. And then everyone else goes, oh. And then what do you want to do? Then you're going to go start your .org ministry, and then you're going to teach the world how to do it. It's amazing. Uh, all these people that you watch on social media preach, and you think they're magnificent. They're the great. They're just like you. But what happened is they had enough courage to overcome and act against their fears and step out in faith. And as a result, we all promote them. Like, it's some weird thing. Like, oh, look what they've done. And God's like, dummy, you can be that too. You just got to let go. You just keep holding on to the same bar. <laughs> no, I can't let go. No, I can't let go. No, I can't let go. I mean, you just keep. And you won't let go. You've got to act against your fears. Look what happened in Numbers chapter 14. You'll turn there in your Bibles. I want you to see how the children of Israel, literally, because they would not act against their fears, it set them back 40 years. 40 years. Some of you that know the Word of God know the storyline. God had delivered them out of Egypt where they had been slaves for 400 years. Moses leads them out into the wilderness. There's hundreds of thousands. One estimation is there's two million Israelites out in the wilderness. After a couple weeks of that, you think about that. Two million of you have left your homes and you're wandering out in Montana. Think that through. for Put put the imagery in your mind. You've got tents. Now, you've got all kinds of jewelry, but you can't buy nothing. You're out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you talk about a run on Circle K. I mean, they bought out everything when they got to that poor little circle. They're, how do you feed two million people three meals a day? Moses gets panicky, and the, they start grumbling and complaining. They brought us out here. We're going to die. There's no food. There's no plan. There's no system. We're going to die. 
Moses cries out to God. God says, watch this. And he causes manna to come down from heaven. I'm talking about the greatest weight loss program and health bar you could ever have. It's manna from heaven. All you naturalists, can you imagine? It's manna. It just pops up every morning. And they just go get it and eat it. But the problem was after a couple weeks, they have boiled it. They have fried it. They have baked it. They just, uh, they have mixed it in with, with sand soup. I mean, they just, it's just, just, at some point, they just get, hey, we ain't got no meat. All we got is this health bar stuff that you've been giving us, and I just can't believe it. I'm regular, but it still stinks. I can't stand it. And they're, they're complaining, complaining, complaining. And Moses goes before God, says, what am I going to do? And God says, watch this. And he sends quail. Birds come flying, millions of birds. They're just hitting them with sticks. And they're falling down dead. I mean, they're, they don't have to shoot them. They're just knocking them out of the air. And they're making quail this and quail sandwiches and quail, you know, uh, you know Cajun dishes, you know, quail sauce picon. I mean, they're making all these little dishes with this stuff. And then they get to complaining about the quail. And God's like, I'm done. I'm done. And he just, a, a couple thousand of them just die off. Just, I'm, just, I'm just mad at you. And he tells Moses, let's just, just kill them all. Just kill them all. And Moses says, no, God, you can't do that. At that moment, they come up to the edge of their promised land. The thing that's been promised them, that they lost. 400 years of slavery. This is their moment. Their dream come true. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send spies out into Take the heads of each tribe. There are 12 tribes. The 12 top men who's in charge of all the family lines. I want, they should be the men. I mean, take every governor. Take every governor and send them into that land and tell them to come back and tell us what they see. And they go out and they spy out the, for 40 days. You're going to take 40 days and just go see what you see. They come back. They said, the place is amazing. They've got grapes the size of softballs. It's unbelievable. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. I have no idea why milk and honey is, is awesome, but for them it was awesome. I would have rather it say a land flowing with diamonds and lots of steaks and, you know. And so, and so they come back and they say, it's amazing. But the people there are better organized than us. They're better warriors than us. In fact, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes and in our own eyes. And only two said, no, 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 no. God's with us. You know what he did back in, when we crossed the, Red sea, the Jordan? You know what happened when we did this and this and this and this? God's force. We can do this. The other one said, no, we cannot. We will not do it. And they began to complain and murmur. And God said, enough. They said, all right. That's how you want to be? Let's pick up in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 14. It says, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites uh, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. When you get full of fear, you say stupid stuff. It was better with my first marriage. No, it wasn't. Have you lost your mind? If only my last church, at least, at least, at least they were nice to me. If only, if only we had never, if we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us out to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Look what fear does. Look what fear does. They have lost their mind. They have been so gripped with fear that they think it was better where they came from. They think, oh, if only we could go be slaves again. 
Like, are you out of your mind? They are. Fear causes you to think irrationally. Fear will cause you to stand right up to your promise and say, no, we can't do it. God gets so frustrated with them that he says, Moses, I won't kill them, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you guys go back through the wilderness for the next 40 years, one year for every day that you walked in the promised land and would not have faith that I could help you get this thing. So I'm going to send you back around. And every one of you who've complained, every one of you who've been gripped with fear, every one of you who've criticized, every one of you who want to go back to Egypt, you're going to die in that desert over the next 40 years. And your children will get the promised land, but you'll never see it. Only Caleb and Joshua, only those who had faith, only those who trusted me, will take the 40 years and at the end of it, they'll be able to go in even though they're the oldest of of the whole group. Millions of people died in that wilderness over the next 40 years because they got right up to the promise that God had for them and fear gripped their hearts so much that they walked away from it. Can I explain something to you? When I find people who are critical and judgmental and talking bad, it's always because of fear. It's always fear. I never get really mad at them. I know destructively what they're doing to their family, what they're doing to their church. But at the end of the day, I know what it's about. It's always about fear. They're scared of something. They're scared of not being received. They're scared of being rejected. They're scared of someone being prejudiced against them. They're scared of not being honored. There's all this fear. Oh, they're scared of losing what they got. All this fear causes them to criticize, complain, and grumble. But God said, I'll not put up with it. I'll not put up with your fear. So you cannot have what I promised you because fear has dominated you. I have to help you remove the fear because you refuse to act against the fear. I will be with you if you'll act with me. And for the next 40 years, they tromp around in circles. Fear caused them to miss out on God's plan. See, fear always wants to go back to safety, doesn't it? And safety is the enemy of the supernatural. Fear always wants to go back to safety. I want to go back to what's safe. Always want to, I want to go back to what's safe. I don't like it. This is not good. And so because we're scared, we start complaining about everything around us. And that is fear. Why do we stay in unhealthy situations? Why do we stay in unhealthy situations? Why do we put up with self-defeating thoughts and actions? Why do we stay in destructive relationships instead of confronting the issue and getting some help? I'll tell you why. Because the pain of what feels comfortable and safe sometimes is more valuable to you, to me, than the fear that we have to overcome to go into our promised land. And you and I have to learn to act against our fears. I challenge you to, this week, pray for somebody. So I don't, I don't pray for people. I just, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Well, you need to overcome that. You need to overcome that. That's not how you were made. God made you to minister to others. You know, share, share your faith with, with your coworker. Ah, oh, man, I don't know. I may, I may lose my job if I tell him about that. That fear is keeping you from going into what God has promised for you. You have to act against it. And this week, I'd like to see men and women start moving towards the faith that is dangerous to the enemy. So here's a couple things I'd like you to do. I'd like you to identify the fear that grips you the most. I'd like you to identify it. Maybe write it down. Put it in your phone, on your notepad. Here's the second thing I want you to do. After you've identified it, I want you to call out to God, just like that man did with that son who was demonized, and say, please, Lord, help my unbelief. So you've got to acknowledge that you have unbelief. You've got to acknowledge you have fear. And then you've got to ask the only one who can really help you with that, and that is Jesus Christ. Until you acknowledge, I'm just scared, Lord. That's what this is. I'm making my family miserable. 
I'm miserable when it comes down to I'm just scared. I'm scared of stepping out in faith. I'm just scared to act against. I, I, I just I don't know how it's going to happen. I just fear has gripped me. Some of you, you inherited that fear. That's what your mama did. That's what your grandmother did. That's what your family unit did. That's what your last husband did. That's what your last wife did. You've got this fear that grips you every time you get right up to it. And then you say, no, I can't do it. And you, start, you find yourself, you're just circling again. How many times have you circled away from coming back to your, the promises that God has for you because of fear? Number one, that I want you to do, it's not on the board. I'm just telling you as your pastor. Number one, you need to identify what fear has been gripping you and has kept you circling the wilderness. Number two, ask your Jesus to help your unbelief. The moment that man cried out, oh, Jesus, help my unbelief, that moment Jesus laid his hands on that young boy, and that boy was completely delivered. Actually, I don't even think he laid hands on him. I think he just said, be free, and that boy was free because the man asked for help. He recognized he had unbelief. He recognized he had fear, and then he cried out to Jesus to help. And here's the third thing I want you to do. I want you to go and confide in someone who loves Jesus, preferably small group leader, preferably someone in your small group here at the church, and say, you know what, Pastor Adam was talking about facing those fears, you know, depowering those fears. And I have, I have, I have something that just, just keeps me, just grips me, man. And when he said it, I've, I immediately saw what I was doing. I immediately know what I'm, I'm living in fear of. And I just, I've asked Jesus to help me, but I just want to be accountable for it, and I want you to pray for me and then hold each other accountable. Because only in that can we begin to depower the fear. As we depower the fear, we can become men and women of faith, dangerous faith that shakes nations. Again, all your heroes that you like in the Christian community say, brother so-and-so, sister such-and-so, it's amazing. They're just people like you and I who face their fears and move forward in faith. And as a result, God exploded his promises in their life. Faith that is dangerous faces the fears that are limiting. You and me from being the man or woman of God we're supposed to be. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to minister to you for just a moment. I hope this has helped you a little bit. Set your Bible down, set your purse down, your spouse, set them all down. And just for a moment, I just want to minister to you. I want to remind you, number one, get the facts. Number two, count the cost. Number three, plan your steps. Number four, announce your goals. Number five, act against your fears. Would you just close your eyes right where you're standing? I get you to do that so you can create a, a private space so you can talk to God. Just a private space. And if you're as ADDDDD as I am, I have to close my eyes or I'll start thinking, man, that guy just, he sure does have weird shoes on. So I want you to be able to concentrate. Now with your head bowed and your eye closed, I believe this message was for me, for all the pastors here, for all the members here, for everybody watching by way of live stream. I believe this is a message for us the believer. I believe it's just for one person. I believe it's for all of us. We all have fears and we have to depower them. There's some practical things and then there's just some practical steps that is and then there's just some God help me. And right there where you stand I want you to ask the Lord to forgive you for letting fear keep you from your promised land. I want you to ask him to say Lord forgive me. I want you to identify that fear. What are you scared of? You scared of presenting yourself as a leader? You don't want to mess up again? You keep, you keep living in this dead-end relationship because you won't sit them down and say, look, this sucks. We can't do this. Because you're scared that they may leave you? This fear is gripping you from actually having 
and being the man or woman of purpose that you were called to be? Why are you living in that dead-end situation? Face the fear. Do what needs to be done. And here where you stand, with your head bowed and your eye closed, ask the Lord to forgive you for letting your fears dominate where faith should have. Jesus, we come before you today. And as a body of believers, we ask for your help. Like that man who cried out, help my unbelief. Lord, we're so used to dealing with the problem. That man and that son, Lord, every day, every day, it was such a burden. Every day, he loved his boy, and his boy was just so tormented. And Lord, he just couldn't even believe that, it could, that something different could happen. He had lost faith. He had enough faith to go find Jesus, but he didn't have enough faith to believe you could even do it. And Jesus, I'm like that sometimes, and I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to ask you to help me. I, I want you to help our people, help us, oh God, to be men and women who do not let fear get in the way to set us back and set us back. And we're constantly having these setbacks because we get right up to the promise and then fear pushes us back and we circle it again and we get right up to the promise. God, we're tired of setbacks. We want to move in faith. Lord, our, our frustration with our setbacks have to so, so get to the place where we say, you know what, I, I'd rather walk in faith than keep being set back anymore. And so, God, I pray right now that courage over these great men and women of valor. I speak dangerous faith into the lives and hearts and minds and souls of these great Christians. And I ask you right now for a plan, a plan. Show them, Lord. Start giving them little steps in their brain. Lord, let them take little steps of courage. And, and then, Lord, breathe on it, Lord God. Or redirect it in Jesus' name. The leap of faith. They step up and... Lord, with their own mouth. Say, you know what, friends? Let me tell you something. I'm going to take a leap of faith this year. I've been planning it out. We've been talking about it. I'm going to announce it to you. I'm doing it. Father, I thank you right now for the courage that comes not because we're great, but the courage to come, that comes from knowing how great you are and that we are your sons and daughters held in the palm of your hand. Now, if you keep your head bowed and your eye closed for a moment, I just want to take a second. I want to give a call to anyone who would say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not a Christian. If I died today, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go to heaven. Friend, why would you let the enemy steal your eternity? What sin is that good? I want you to know Jesus is not mad at you. And you cannot be too, too messed up. Say, so, oh, you don't know how messed up I am. Friend, can I say this to you? You came to church today. You came to the gathering of believers. You didn't think this was a concert. You didn't pull up into the parking lot thinking, oh, my goodness. I thought we were going to Walmart. What happened? You came here because something in your heart cries out for God. I want to help you with that today. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus wants to cleanse you today. I want you to understand something. All of heaven is sitting on the edge of their seat right now. Will she finally give her life to Jesus? All the angels are right on the edge. Will he finally... Stop being so self-destructive and let Jesus have access to it. The old preacher said it like this. There's a door between you and Jesus. The doorknob's on your side. You've got to let him in. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, I don't want to live like this anymore. I need Jesus in my life. Friend, I want to pray with you. I want to lead you into a relationship with him. I want to help jumpstart your friendship. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian. 
But life happened, man. I don't know. I just kind of walked away. I, I don't know if I even understood really what it was. I tried to go to church. It's not about church. It's about you and Jesus becoming best friends. That's what this is about. It's about you letting him be a Lord of your life. Today, I want to pray with anyone who says, Pastor, it's time. I'm ready. I want Jesus. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Would you acknowledge that to me and to heaven that you want Jesus here and now? And I want to pray with you. Would you acknowledge that by just lifting your hand right where you're at and saying, Pastor, that's me. I, I'm away from God. I need Jesus. Thank you so much. Thanks for your honesty. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Give you just a couple seconds. I need Jesus. I'm tired of this, Pastor. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want God in my life. I don't want to live in shame, fear, doubt anymore. I want God in my life. Anyone else? I want to confess him as your Lord and Savior. I want to lead you in a prayer. Prayer of repentance. Give you that two more seconds. Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. It's my time. I'm ready. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. A dedication. The Bible said, remember, confess with your mouth. I'm going to lead you in a confessing with your mouth. I need you to believe in your heart that he's your Christ, that he's your Savior. In fact, I want you to repeat this prayer out loud. And I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray alongside of those of you who lifted your hand. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I recognize I've been sinning against you. But here and now, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for me. Thank you. I receive your forgiveness. I ask you now, write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? Father, I pray for those who lifted their hand, who cried out in all sincerity. And they said, I want you, Jesus. I need you. God, I thank you right now. The relationship has been established. It's new. It may even be awkward. They may not even know how to engage with you, Lord God. But Lord, as that friendship grows, and as they submit to you more and more, and as they read the Holy Scriptures, and they say, oh, that's what he's like. Oh, that's what being in relationship with him looks like. Lord, may that grow. May it prosper, Lord God. May it blossom into the strongest relationship in their entire existence. Oh God, I thank you for forgiving. I thank you for healing. I thank you right now, Lord God, that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and they can walk out of this place today with their shoulders pulled back and their head held high and say, you know what? I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. And for eternity, I'm going to spend it forever and ever and ever with Jesus, not in the pit of hell. I thank you, Lord God, when the enemy comes and, and, and says, see, you didn't really mean it. Look what you just did. You didn't mean it. You're not a real, they'll be able to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, hold on just a second. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. And Father, let this be a truth that they hold to all their days in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.